What we're doing here this morning is of utmost importance. Christ stated in John chapter 4, verse 23, For the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. What could be more important or more significant than what God is seeking from His people? God desires His people to worship Him. It's not a generic word, uh, worship. It's something specific. He said, I want you to worship me in spirit. That means sincerely from the heart, fully engaged. And he said, I want it to be a true worship. Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. So we go to God's truth found in the New Testament, and we identify the specifics of what he's asked us to do in the way of worship. And these elements are singing, prayer, study, observing the Lord's Supper, and contribution. This is what He said He wants us to do in our worship of Him. So when we bring Him these things, and we do it from the heart, we do it sincerely, then we bring Him what He wants on His terms. I hope that our worship will always be about bringing what to God what He wants on His terms. And I hope it leads to more than just worship, but then in all of our service, we will bring to God what He has asked, we will make it about Him, and we will not make it about ourselves. When we worship God properly, He's exalted. He's lifted up. We praise Him. He's the God of heaven put on the highest place. And we achieve our purpose of exalting our Father. Our blessing is to receive encouragement, to be built up, to be led to a deeper faith. So thank you for being here this morning. What you're doing here is what God said He wanted His people to do. If you're connected by the internet, we appreciate you participating as well. If we can't be here together, then at least we need to be connected and we need to be worshiping and praising and lifting God up. Our subject this morning is works and salvation. And we're going to connect back to the summary that we just made about worship and tie that in. But we want to look at this term works. And we want to notice that this word with its synonyms, deeds, acts, labor, toil, these things are used some 750 times throughout the Bible. 250 times in the New Testament. So there's a lot about what God has communicated to us that revolves around this term works. Saved and salvation is another term we find often in His Word. 250 times in the Bible, 100 times in the New Testament. There is a great misunderstanding about these terms and their relationship together in our religious world today. And I believe that it merits our study, our close attention, to identify exactly how works and salvation work together in our relationship with God. This misunderstanding that people have is 
stated in some of these different ways. Have you ever heard this? It's not about what I do, but it's about what God has done. Amen. The significance of what God has done in His redemptive plan is incomparable to any other thing that we could bring up. But does it allow us to not do our part? Can we walk away from worship? God has asked us to worship Him. He's seeking those who will do it. Can we say, well, it's all about God, so it doesn't matter what we do? You see, that doesn't work. And people are diminishing the importance of what we do in our response to God. Not about making it about us, but how we turn to God, we give Him what He desires, and we do it humbly, and we lift Him up in glory. Here's another statement. Well, that's not a salvation issue. I've heard this many times. You, you turn to something in the Bible, you look at a command of God, and someone wants to diminish their responsibility in obeying that command, so they say, well, it's not a salvation issue. I believe that is a statement that goes totally contradictory to what we're going to learn this morning. Our service to God is always by His grace, it's always a salvation issue if it's commanded in His Word. Works are a salvation issue. Here's another one. Works has nothing to do with my salvation. We hear that in the peripheral discussion in religion that, that works have nothing to do with it. It all comes through the grace of God. Again, we need to be very careful because we may start listening to this and it may be creeping into our minds when it comes to this subject that we want to discuss this morning. Does God talk to us about works and what He wants us to do? You know, there's a passage in 2 Timothy 3, starts in verse 16, and we hear it over and over again. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're equipped for every good work. Every desire, everything that God seeks us to do, He's communicated it to us. Let's not try to diminish our responsibility in responding to our God of heaven. We want to begin by defining some terms. This term work, this is used in different scriptures and different contexts. It has different meanings, dependent on the qualifying words that are around it. It can be different shades of meaning. And we can't just take a surface bumper sticker section out of Scripture without looking at the context. We know about rightly dividing God's Word, that we have to take all of the information about an issue. We have to put it in its context. We have to let the Bible define the words, and we have to let the Bible be its own commentary so that we can come to the right understanding of whatever the issue is. And certainly, that's the case as we study works and salvation. One usage of this term applies to the 
subject that we studied last week. The fact that the old law has passed away. There's a phrase in the New Testament and the epistles that's used over and over. And it's works of the law. There's that term works, but it's further described of the law. That's the old covenant. And this phrase in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 20, works of the law cannot justify us. That's God's message about that type of work. We have to be careful to just read a word and look at the surface. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 10 says that not only is the old law and trying to follow it insufficient in justification, it will bring a curse. That's how we take different passages And as Jay studied that subject last week, he brought a lot of Scripture. And he brought them together, and we found that they came together in harmony. And they teach us very strongly that we are not to seek to follow the terms of the old law. We're to listen to Jesus Christ and follow the new covenant. There's three prominent uses of this term, works, that relate to the subject of serving God in the Christian age that we want to cover today. We'll be using these scriptures on the left side of the screen and tying them to these thoughts and trying to look at exactly what the Word teaches about this. So what are these three different uses of this word or this term, works? Here we have a chart that gives us an overview. And on your left, you're going to see the first of these, and that's man's own works. And then we have some identifiers, some things that go with this as we think about man's works and what relation they might have to serving God. And we'll see that these things originate with man. Maybe man takes an idea that God has put in his will and he enhances it. He adjusts it to fit him. But it's from his mind that he comes up with this work. And he may want to attach the Lord's name to it. That's what they did in Matthew 7, 21. Jesus speaking said on the day of judgment, it takes more than saying, Lord, Lord, to enter the kingdom of heaven, but we have to do the will of the Father. So we see what happens with man's works. These things come from his mind. They're rooted in a heart of pride. They're seeking attention and merit. These are works that can be boasted of. We have an example of that. Think about the Pharisees and the lawyers. In Matthew 23 and verse number 5, Christ said, But all their works they do for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Now I will tell you that this commandment was rooted in part of God's law. We can read it back in Deuteronomy 11. He wanted them to write His Word on their soul and in their heart. And He uses an illustration to teach them that they need that right in front of them, accessible at all times. But what did these, the hierarchy of the Jews do in this case? They enhanced what God said, and just a regular phylactery, a leather box, that they attached to their arm or to their forehead or both, that had Scripture in it. A regular leather box wasn't enough. They wanted to broaden that. 
They wanted to be seen. It was for their ego and for them to boast. What was it about making the borders of their garments enlarged? Look at the scarf here in the right-hand picture that this Jew has on. It has tassels that are hanging down. And the longer those tassels were, the more righteous they considered that person to be. Can we see the nature of man's works and the fact that God detests these things? He was condemning them because they were following their works. So when we go to God's Word and we read a passage that has works and salvation in it, we have to make sure what that work is be- what work is being addressed. Here in the middle, we, we see the works to obey the gospel. There's a distinction made between our works and works of obedience to the gospel. When we obey the gospel, that originates with God. We have nothing to do with God's redemptive plan, and we can do nothing as someone who is dead in sin other than through God's grace, the plan that He's given, we can submit to that. It's a from a heart of humble submission. It glorifies God. It doesn't glorify us. It invokes the saving blood of Jesus. Here's an example, Romans 6, 17 and 18. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I want you to know that this word obedience has a very close connection with the word work. The word work is it's used in the Bible. The word deed, the word action... Here he says, obedience took these people from being slaves of sin and made them slaves of righteousness. What did they obey? Did they obey their own commands, their own ideas, their own works? They obeyed a form of doctrine from the heart, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And this type of work to obey the gospel is within the plan of God. And we better not diminish it or say it's not important. What about the other type of works that we read about in Scripture? Good works of service. In Titus 2, verse number 14, we read this passage, "...who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous of good works." This term for works is used twice in this passage. He talks about lawless deeds, and he talks about that the people of God are taken out of lawless works, and they're put in as God's special people who will be zealous for good works. We're brought through the process of justification so that we can serve God and live a righteous life and holy life. This is what the Bible teaches. Notice these qualifiers. Good works of service. Again, they originate with God. We do them from a heart of humble servitude. It is the purpose whereby God brings us into His family. He wants us to serve. He wants us to go through the process of seeking to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our works that we 
perform in the, for God because He desires us to do that. These things will be stored up as treasure in heaven. Christ said to put our treasure in heaven, not on this earth where moth and rust corrupts, thieves break through and steal. We all want to build up treasure here. The important treasure is what we put up in heaven. And we see through the, the context of these ideas exactly what God's Word teaches about these things. We're going to go and look at more verses that point this out. But I want you to put to memory these three different types of work. Works of men, works of obedience to the gospel, and works of service to other people to glorify and praise God. Now then, we want to look at the term saved or salvation. Because it also has to be defined if we're going to understand the relationship that works and salvation have to each other. I would submit to you today that there's three phases of salvation. And when we read these words, it can be talking about one of these uh, stages of salvation. It can be talking about two, or it might even be talking about three. But if we don't understand these different facets of our salvation and how that word is used, then we'll misunderstand works and salvation. So here's the three words, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And those are some big, long words, but all they mean, justification is our conversion. Sanctification is our Christian life. Glorification is when we receive a home in heaven in that final day. And when salvation is used, it can be talking about different phases of this. So, here's some qualifiers. Justification for the Christian is something that happened in our past. It was a short series of decisions that we made to come to God and to obey the gospel. And when we obey the gospel, God declares us just. We're not 50% just. We're not 90% just. We're either just or we're not just. It's a fact. It's a positional part of our salvation. And the reason I say that is because our position is in Jesus Christ. When we are declared just by obeying the gospel, we are placed within God's family. We're added to the church. God wipes our sins completely away. And at that point, we're in Christ. That's a part of our salvation. Here is a diagram that has a time factor. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to go ahead and mention the Christian life and how that it is a present tense for each one of us that is a disciple of Christ. This is a process. It takes a life of service to God through this process of being more and more like Christ. And that is our goal. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then that final stage is the glorification. That's a promise for the future for us as the disciples of Christ. It's a promise of a permanent home with God and Christ in heaven for an eternity. So when you read the word saved, is it going to be talking about what we did initially? 
to be found just in God's eyes? Is it going to talk about what we continue to do to conform to the image of Christ? Or is it going to be talking about that final reward in heaven? Here's the diagram that I want to use to to partially illustrate what I'm talking about. It has a time factor. It has these stages. We're all born in the same place. We're born innocent. We grow to an age of accountability. We know the difference between right and wrong. We choose to transgress God's law. And we are separated from God because of our sin. At that point, the Bible says we're dead in sin. And that's where justification comes in. We have to respond to God's grace. We have to submit to His plan. And then we will be saved and held just in the eyes of God. Let's look at an example of this. Titus 3, 4-7. We're not going to look at this text in depth right now because we're going to come back to it in a few minutes. But I want you to notice in verse 5 the term saved is used. And then you come down to verse 7, and the word justified is used. So in this particular case, when he's talking about saved in this context, he's talking about our initial encounter with God where we are taken from being dead in our sin to being just in the eyes of God. And we'll see the word saved used in that way in various places. What about sanctification? Now, there's different definitions for sanctification, like a lot of these terms. And the basic definition is set apart for God's special use. But there are also a lot of passages in the Scripture that look at this as far as our progress in living our Christian life. Let me show you an example. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 14 for, one by, for by one offering He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You see, it's a process. When we begin our walk with, with God, we come to Him with justification, and then we to continue to walk with Him. And it's a thing that takes lifelong commitment. It's a process of spiritual maturity. And we read over and over again in Scriptures that God seeks those followers who will be diligent and mature. We come in as newborn babes desiring the milk, sincere milk of the Word, and we seek to grow to maturity. Our sanctification is not a straight line like we see it in this illustration. This is for illustration purposes, but sanctification means that because we're human, we're going to stumble along the way. The same blood that saved us at our initial encounter with God will continue to save us if we get back up, if we confess our sin, if we repent, if we keep struggling to be who God wants us to be. And that's what we see in this process of sanctification. John describes it in his 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. We notice there in Hebrews 10 that it speaks 
of our forgiveness through this process in the blood of Christ. Here we're taught if we confess our sins and we're faithful and just, or I'm sorry, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But did you notice the qualifier? These are people that are walking in the light. I want to ask you, once we start the Christian walk, can we step out of light and step into darkness? And I'm not talking about stumbling. I'm talking about where we're walking. I'm talking about where we're putting our time, our effort, our abilities. We certainly can. We can turn away from this process of sanctification. And we read in Mark 13 and 13, Christ said, He that endureth unto the end shall be saved. Why did He say we have to endure to the end? And He connects this word salvation. In this context, salvation means a home in heaven. And how are we going to get there? We're going to have to endure unto the end. John said in Revelations 2 verse 10, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Again, the crown of life, the salvation term, is talking about heaven. And we have to remain faithful through this period of our Christian walk, not spotless, not perfect. We're going to fall down, we're going to have weaknesses, but God has promised that He will be there and walk with us every step of the way if we're dedicated to Him and we make Him the priority and the focus of our life. And that's the key, we have to do that. And we can endure until the end and be saved. Here Peter's talking about someone that went through the justification process. He came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. I believe it's inferred here that he obeyed the gospel. That's the way we escape the pollution of the world. And it's by knowledge of Jesus Christ. But look what happened. They are again entangled therein and overcome. It's not talking about a, a step to the side, a momentary stop or a stumble. It's talking about being entangled back in the Word, back in the world. When that happens to us, we're separated from God. And in fact, this says that we are actually worse off once we start the process of Christian life than we were before we ever started. Because now we have a knowledge of it. We know what it's about. We've had a taste of it and we've turned away. God does not desire us to sit on the sidelines. We are not justified or made just in His sight to sit down and then one day inherit heaven. That's not the process that we read about in the Scriptures. We read about the fact that we continue to walk with God to achieve that final point of glorification. Romans 2 verse 7, Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Here's the root of that word glorification. Where is our glory coming? Are we going to receive glory in this life? That better not be our motive. We better be giving the glory to God, but we're going to join God in that glory in eternity. That's the final phase of our salvation. By patient continuance and doing good. 
You see how it points back to this process of the Christian life, how we patiently live for Christ, we make decisions that honor Him, we endure unto the end, we're looking for that crown of life, we receive it in glory and in eternal life. Romans 8, 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Do you know what discipleship is according to our Savior? He said we have to deny ourselves, we have to take up the cross, and we have to follow Him. Can we say works have nothing to do with our salvation? Say, no, that's not important. God's done it all for us. We can sit down. We can quit our effort to serve God and be like Jesus Christ. We see how that that doesn't fit the things that we're reading from God's Word, especially when we define these terms. An heir is someone who's going to receive something of value later. We're heirs right now. We're in the family of God right now. But what are, what's that reward that we want to receive finally? It's that home in heaven. It's that glory that we're going to enjoy in that final day. So we've looked here. We've talked about three ways works can be used and three ways saved or salvation can be used. And I know it's asking a lot to, to remember those things, but now we want to go to a couple of sets of text that are used a lot of times to de diminish the value of us being uh, diligent about serving God. And we want to see how we can look at this and define these words and see what God's talking about. So three types of works. Works of men, works of obedience to the gospel, and righteous works done in service to glorify God. Three different things can be, mean, can be meant about salvation. Our conversion, our Christian life, or our final reward. So, we want to look at two texts. This is the first one, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And here's what the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So as people tell me that works have nothing to do with salvation, they'll read these two verses, and to them it's undeniable evidence that what they believe about this is true. The Calvinist says that we have nothing to do. God selects us. We're predestined. We have no choice in the matter. The once saved, always saved philosophy says we're justified and then we're safe until eternity, no matter what we do. They look to these type of verses and they base what they believe on this. So what we want to do is take enough time to break this down. And the first thing we're going to look at is the word saved. Okay, This can mean our conversion, our Christian life. This can be talking about heaven. To these people that have this idea that works have nothing to do with salvation, they're defining this word saved as heaven. And they're saying, we're going to be saved to heaven. It's not going to be of works. It's all going to be by the grace of God. 
Well, let's look at the context. We're going to back up to verse 1 of this chapter, and we're going to be kind of bouncing back and forth. If you want to open the Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, you might could follow this more easily. But we're backing up now to get the greater context. And we start reading, and what do we see right off in verse 1? And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now I want to ask you, is that talking about the final home in heaven? Is that where God takes us from being dead and makes us alive? It's not what that's talking about. The whole context is talking about our justification through obedience to the gospel. When we try to make this word mean something that does not fit the, con- the context, then we misunderstand. What about the next thing about this? It says, by grace you are saved. So what, what is the greater context on this? So we back up again and we see that in verse 5 he talks again about people that are dead spiritually and they are made alive. And he says that's through the grace of God. And as we start looking at this, we see this can't be the end time. It can't be our Christian life that's dedicated to God because it's talking about that transformation that takes place in justification. What does verse 9 of this say? It says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now we've already got a clue right here, even without looking at the context of what kind of works he's talking about. Are these works of obedient faith? Or obedience to the gospel? Is that something we can boast about? Is this a work that we're treasuring up to someday have in store when we meet Christ in judgment? No, he's talking about man's works. We've already noted it. They come from a heart of pride. They want to boast about them. And what he's saying here, he's defining these works as works of men. Look again at, the, at, at what it says and look clearly at what the message is and we see that in this case, God is talking about the fact that when we're completely dead as a sinner, there's nothing that we can do of, of ourselves to receive salvation. It doesn't originate with us. It originates with God. It's by the grace of God. Do we have to respond? Yes, we do, because when we pull all of the information in, we see in James 2 verse 24 that we are justified by works. So what kind of works are those? Those are works of obedience to the gospel. And if we look clearly at these statements, we will be able to understand what the Bible is speaking of, and we can see that these things come together in harmony. The second text is Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. And we, we glanced at this other, this earlier. It has the word saved in verse 5, and it has that word justified in verse 7. And I think that's significant to show us that what he's talking about here, as far as salvation, is he's talking about our conversion. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, 
not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, the writer is the same of Ephesians 2 and Titus chapter 3. And I would submit to you today that these are parallel passages, that they're talking about the same concept, that they're looking at the picture of salvation that is according to God's mercy, according to His grace. This is the salvation where He saved us, having been justified. It's not talking about the final reward in heaven. Here's the grace component. Kindness and love of God. His mercy, His grace. So we're talking about the initial justification that comes by the grace of God because we're unable to do anything to have any part in it. It's His grace. It's His kindness. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. How much more plain can it be? It's not talking about Works whereby we serve God and we glorify God because we're obeying God. It's talking about our own works. Remember that Pharisee and what he was doing and attaching God's name to it? When we do that, this is not going to bring about our justification. The only thing that's going to bring about our justification is obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to hear it. Through the kindness and love of God, this appears. We have to hear it because it's been delivered to us by God through a conduit coming from heaven through Christ to the apostles by the Spirit who wrote this down, and now we have it. We know about what we need to do to respond and be justified in the sight of God. And so we submit. Is that our own boastful works? Of course not. We believe what we've heard. We're willing to repent of our life of evil. We're willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then we're made right with God in the final baptism where we obey that form that we noticed earlier, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When we come up out of that water, then we're on the path that God created us to be on the life that He wants us to live, the thing that He desires, in the same way that He's seeking those that will worship Him, He's seeking those who will come and be washed and regenerated through this process of obeying the gospel. James 2, verse 24, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith. Now people will take Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and they'll put it at odds with James chapter 2, verse 24. Because they want to put grace and or faith at odds with works. They're not at odds with each other. They work together. This perfectly comes together in harmony. Our responsibility in the response to God initially to be justified is to obey the gospel. And those are the works that will bring about that justification in our life. What about the text following these passages? Look to verse 10 of Ephesians 2. Now this is right after what people say is 
is the proof that works are not important. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Does it sound like works are not important if we were created in Christ for these works? Now we're not talking about works of our own righteousness. We're talking about another kind of works, aren't we? We switched from verse 9 to verse 10, and now he's, he's making a comment on this sanctification process, living the Christian life. These are the works that God beforehand desired that we walk in them. Sounds like to me that our Christian living is very, very important. Titus 3, 8 and 9, this is following that passage that we just looked at in Titus that says, not by works of our own righteousness. What does Paul say? This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Is that something we do and then we sit down? I remind you of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Does God want a people that's laboring in Him, in the Lord? He's affirming constantly that we should, as believers, be careful to maintain good works. True faith is always going to move us to action. In fact, faith itself, over in the book of John, Christ says it is a work that we do for God. It's a decision that we make. If we believe and we stay focused on our belief and our commitment to God, then we are going to be careful to maintain good works. This is in the same set of of text here, isn't it? He's talking about man's boastful works in the earlier verse. Now he's talking about sanctification, living our life for God. Again, we can put these things together and understand them when we see the definitions in the backgrounds of these works. When we follow God, we are saved at the point of justification and we maintain good works. This is good and profitable for men. That's us and that's everyone else. Because we're living the life of, of Christ as closely as we can. We're serving other people. We're washing the disciples' feet because it's important that God, honor, God be honored in this way. Here are the things that we have to put away when we put these good works in their place. There's evil works, there's good works. Again, we make a distinction and we receive the message of God and we write it on our heart and we respond to it as people who are following God. I want to leave a couple of verses for your hearing as we wrap up the study of this, this morning. We mentioned that we are storing up for eternity as we live our daily life. What does Paul say about that here? Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, 
not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Now listen, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Summarizes what we've been saying this morning. People that are rich, they need to get off of their physical riches and they need to think about storing up good works by being ready to give, by being willing to share. And when they do that, they are building a foundation for when they stand on the judgment day in front of Jesus Christ, our judge, we've got something to stand on because we've dedicated our life to Christ. We will be judged in that final day according to our works. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or evil. You know, Solomon said a long time ago, as he summarized what, what, what our life is about, fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. In the very next verse, he says, our works, what we do in this life to fear God and keep His commandments, we're going to be judged accordingly. And that thought runs all the way through, all the way to the book of Revelation where it discusses whether our name is written in the book of life or not. Folks, these things are important. It's very important we don't get misled by these false misunderstandings that are so prevalent around us. This is our journey to a better place in heaven. Let's don't get pulled away from the path that God has given to us. Where do you stand today? Are you outside of Christ or have you obeyed the gospel as it is given in His Word and now you're in Christ? If you're outside of Christ, you need to take a decision today and you need to come to Him in submission and obedience. Maybe you're along the way. Maybe you named Christ and you're in the church, you're in in the family of God, but you sat down on the sidelines and you're just waiting for that reward in heaven. I hope you see that that's a fallacy of God's plan. And I hope you'll rededicate yourself to be committed and following God and growing spiritually day by day to the best of your ability. Our eternal destination depends on us doing those things that God seeks and doing them from the heart so that one day we can, we can spend our forever in heaven with Him. We want to offer an invitation at this time. If you need to respond to the invitation of Christ, He says, Come, all ye that, are, that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That invitation is open. If you need to make a decision, we plead with you to do that today. If you need to be baptized to obey the gospel, or if you need the prayers of the church, please come forward and be seated on the front as we stand and sing together.